What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. section in Exodus where we have this epic battle between God and Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt. And if this were a boxing match, then, you know, that first miracle that God does in front of Pharaoh where, you know, he turns the the staff into a creature and, you know, that would be kind of like the the boxers coming and touching gloves and now you're right in front of your opponent and you see how big they are, you see how strong they are when they, you know, slam their hands onto your gloves. And, you know, that'd be the kind of the start of the, you know, a little bit maybe of intimidation, but, you know, Pharaoh, he's not intimidated because, you know, his, you know, magicians are able to do the exact same miracle, and that kind of hardens him to the battle that he's about to face, Uh, but then, you know, the first plague would have been the the first punch that that God lands there on Pharaoh, and, you know, he would have really experienced the might of who he's up against, and and really there were knockout blows uh, to some false gods of Egypt that were connected to the Nile as we looked at last week. Kunum was said to be the guardian of the Nile. Hapi, the spirit of the Nile. Uh, And then uh, Osiris was... Uh, thought to have the Nile as his bloodstream. And so this, you know, turning the Nile into blood was ultimately a knockout blow to each one of these false gods because it shows they're powerless against the God of the Bible. Uh, and so after God lands this first blow... You know, I think Pharaoh thinks, hey, I, got a, I landed one right back because, you know, he has his magicians. They turn blood, uh, water into blood as well. But really, they're not hitting God. They're just hitting themselves. I mean, they just made the matter worse for them. You know, they have, you know, a little bit of clean water left, and they take that, and they turn it into blood. So they're really kind of punching themselves. And something we noted last week was that the main purpose of this battle, the main purpose of these plagues, is that God would be able to reveal himself to Pharaoh and the Egyptians so they could know who he is. Because the first time that Moses comes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So each one of these blows, each one of these plagues is just a a reminder and a testimony of who God is so that the Egyptians and Pharaoh can come to that knowledge. And so... Pharaoh has seen the power of God. He's come up against it, and he had a choice. He could throw in the towel. He could say, all right, I don't want to fight this one anymore. You know, I give up. I'm going to do what he commanded me to do. I'm going to let the Israelites go. But instead of throwing in the towel, instead of obeying God, he hardens his heart, and he continues to fight. And so that decision is going to lead to more blows, more plagues, And so we're going to look at three more tonight. We're going to have three more 
plagues that God is going to bring upon Pharaoh. And, and as we look at these, I just want you to start to see how Pharaoh is changing, how his response is starting to change, how the Egyptians are starting to recognize with each plague a little more of who they're up against and who God is. And so we ended last week with verses 24 and 25. It says this, So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river and turned it to blood. So now seven days have transpired. So most all their drinking water is gone. They're digging for something that they can drink. They probably haven't bathed at all. They're not going to waste drinking water on bathing. It already stinks really bad because all the fish in the Nile are dead. Everything's bloody and gross. And so it's been a week. Uh, this plague has lasted for that long. It would have been pretty miserable for them. And God thinks, all right. A week's long enough, now it's time to send Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh, and we're going to have a new conversation. So that's where we pick up chapter 8, verse 1, says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up, and come into your house, into your bedroom, into your, on your bed, in, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and your people and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand, over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh's had seven days to mull over the power of God and the consequence of not doing what God says, and he has all the bloody water that's around him. And now, once again, God says Moses and Aaron with a message and a warning. The message is the same. Let my people go that they can go and worship me. But the warning is a little different. God's warning is this time, if you refuse, I'm not going to make more bloody water. I'm going to bring something different. I'm going to smite this territory with frogs. There's going to be frogs everywhere, in your house, in your bedroom, on your bed, in your ovens, in your kneading bowls, and all the people. There's going to be frogs all over the place. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever handled a frog. Uh, they are slimy. Uh, they smell usually pretty bad. Uh, they're definitely not something that you want all over your house. And um, I put a little uh, video clip up here from a movie to kind of depict this. So go ahead and look. Here they come. So now imagine, you know, I mean, that one, if you were actually asleep when the plague came and you wake up to frogs all over you, it would be so horrible. But, you know, you can never relax. You go to cook, they're in the oven. You know, you go to mix something, they're in your bowls. You go to lay down, they're all over your bed. You know, you go to drink something, they're in your cup. I mean, it would just be miserable. And imagine you go to walk and everywhere you step are frogs and you're going to be stepping on them and crushing them and they're going to be slimy and you're going to fall down and you're going to fall into a bunch of frogs and uh, it would just be uh, a miserable time. Harry Rimmer, 
He wrote a, a great description of what this plague would have been like. Like a blanket of filth, the slimy, wet monstrosities covered the land until men sickened at the continued squashing crunch of the nasty pavement they were forced to walk upon. If a man's feet slipped on the greasy mast of their crushed bodies, he fell into an indescribably offensive mass of putrid uncleanness. And when he sought water to cleanse himself, the water was so solid with frogs, he got no cleansing there. So this is a horrible plague. All these plagues are horrible. It would have been miserable, just like we saw with the first plague. This is also a specific plague. God, you know, with each one of these, he's designed them specifically to attack false Egyptian gods. And this one would have been connected with the one god that was connected to frogs. The Egyptians worshipped the goddess Hecate. Uh, it's pictured here as a, a woman's body with the head of a frog. And they worshipped this frog female goddess. And the reason that they loved frogs is because they reproduced so rapidly. And so, you know, the goddess Hecate uh, was known for fertility. Oh, they're connected with frogs. Frogs have lots of babies. And so women who wanted to get pregnant, they would wear these necklaces with frogs on them, these little, you know, frog idols. And they think, you know, this is going to help us get pregnant, and this goddess is in control of frogs, and, you know, another funny thing with all of this is frogs were sacred because of this, and because they were sacred, kind of like if you go to a Hindu country, cows are sacred, what can't you do? You can't kill them. Well, they wouldn't have been allowed to kill frogs. Now, imagine you're just infested with frogs. All you want to do is rid your home of them, kill them, get rid of them, but they weren't allowed to, uh, so that would have made this uh, plague all the more uh, problematic, but, you know, here is the, the problem. This goddess Hecate that they worship, that they think is the goddess of frogs, she's powerless to stop these frogs from infesting the land of Egypt. And so once again, God is revealing he's much more powerful than another Egyptian god. This plague would have been a knockout blow to the goddess Hecate. Uh, and so this is another thing that we see here with this. Now, something interesting that I want you to take note of is uh, something we'll see as we continue to go through these plagues is what these Egyptians worshipped, what they thought was so wonderful, what they thought was just so amazing has become a plague to them. That they thought these frogs were so wonderful. They thought the, the goddess Hecate was just this amazing goddess. But the thing that they worshipped was a thing that was destroying their life. And I think this should be a good warning for us, because oftentimes we think our sin is wonderful. We think our sin is so great, and that's why we continue to engage in particular sins in our life. We think they bring so much pleasure. But as we indulge in them, it always ultimately becomes a plague to us. And this is something we need to remember as we're tempted to sin, as we think, oh, I want to engage in that, I want to do that and, and, and fulfill that temptation it might look good, it might look wonderful now, but eventually it brings destruction. John Corson said this, There are 25 million alcoholics in America today, yet I guarantee not one of them opened his first beer or poured her first glass of wine and said, Today I'm going to become one of the 25 million alcoholics. No, everyone said, I got this under control, no problem, it's not going to bother me. And we say the same thing concerning everything from questionable relationship to a hot temper, 
from a propensity to lie to a curiosity about pornography, until suddenly we wake up one day and realize our houses, ovens, beds, and kneading troughs are filled with frogs, until suddenly we realize that what we once thought we had under control has hopped out of its riverbed and is instead controlling us. You know, the sins that we think are so great, the sins that we think, you know, I can indulge in this a little here and a little there, oh, I got this under control, ultimately they become plagues that start to have control over our lives and bring us destruction. Now, with the first miracle and the first plague that God showed Pharaoh, the magicians, they come out, they do the same thing, they turn water into blood. And so now let's see how the magicians are able to respond to this Second plague of frogs in verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. So once again, we see these Egyptian uh, magicians are able to copy the plague that God sends upon the Egyptians. And the source of their power, as we looked at last week, was demonic. This wasn't like a magician today who's just using tricks and there's no real power. They had power. They had demonic power. They were capable of doing supernatural things through this demonic power. But just like we saw with you know, the last plague that they copied, they're just making things worse. Why take fresh water and make it more bloody? And why add to an infestation of frogs? There's frogs everywhere. The one the thing you want is to get rid of them. You know, do a miracle where they remove the frogs. But no, hey, we can add more frogs. We can make the problem even worse. Look at us. We're so powerful. Well, we're going to see that Pharaoh, from his response here, I think he's starting to realize, you know what? This isn't going so well, guys. <laughs> Every time that you do the miracle or the plague, you're just adding to our problem. And so now we see a little bit of a different response here from Pharaoh than we did last time. Notice how he responds in verses 8 through 14. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants, for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Notice that this time Pharaoh doesn't initially harden his heart as he sees the magicians copy the plague. He recognizes the source. So he calls Moses, he calls Aaron. He's had enough of these frogs and he says, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and my people. And here's what I'll do if you do that. I'll let your people go so that they may worship the Lord. Well, that's what God asked of him. Let them go. He said it the first time, Pharaoh was hard-hearted, say no. Second time, hard-hearted, says no. Well, now he's another opportunity, and he says, hey, this is what I'll do. Get rid of the frogs, and I'll do what the Lord has told me. Now, 
This is the first time that Pharaoh is showing a recognition of the God of Israel. He started with, who is this God? Why am I going to listen to him? Well, you know, I'm not going to do anything that he says. I don't even know who he is. Now he's showing, I recognize the power of this God, and I recognize that Moses, you need to actually entreat him on my behalf in order for these plagues to be taken away. So the main purpose of these plagues is starting to work. Remember, it's for the purpose of Pharaoh and the Egyptians to know who God is, and they're starting to get that recognition of who God is. Now, this must have been just what Moses had been waiting to hear. Oh, finally. You know, I was hoping that this was going to happen the very first time I came, but instead you, you know, make it worse on the Israelites and you make them do bricks without straw, and then I come again with the, you know, the plague and you still are hard-hearted, and finally, you're going to let them go. This is great. I've been waiting for this wonderful. And Moses is, I'm sure, quite pleased with this response. And so Moses says to Pharaoh, I accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you to destroy the frogs from you. So Moses said, hey, Pharaoh, you know what? I want to give you an honor. I want you to have the honor of telling me when you want these frogs gone. You want me to entreat the Lord on your behalf? I'm willing to do that because you're willing to let the Israelites go. Great. When do you want me to call upon the Lord so that these frogs can leave? Now, I want you to put yourself in Pharaoh's situation. You've been plagued with these horrible frogs. They're everywhere. And you're now given the option, when would you like to see these frogs gone? When would you no longer want them in your bed and in your kitchen and in your bowls and in your cups and in your shower and everywhere? When do you want them to go? I would think most of us would say, uh, right now would be good. Uh, I don't think I would like to spend another second with these filthy, stinking frogs. How about you just pray right now? That would be the time that, that I would at least say. But notice the response here of Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets this opportunity, and he says, Moses, tomorrow. Tomorrow you can pray. Tomorrow you can entreat the Lord. Tomorrow you can have these frogs gone. Why put yourself through another night of torment? Why tomorrow? That's so foolish. As hard as it is to believe, Pharaoh wanted just one more night with the frogs. Yes, they're plaguing his people. They're a problem to him. He knew they had to go, but his attitude was not right now. Just give me one more night, and then, Moses, you can pray to get them out of my life. Now, before we judge Pharaoh too harshly, I think we should just really take a look at our own lives and so many things that we do when it comes to our own sin. You know, sadly, oftentimes the mindset that we have with sins that plague our life and the Lord says, hey, I want to deliver you from that. I want to free you of that. I've done everything necessary. God sent Moses to breathe the deliverer Pharaoh, but he sent someone so much greater than that to deliver us from our sin, Jesus Christ. And he delivered it uh, of us at the cross. And so he says, hey, I have the power. I can free you. I can deliver you. When would you like that? Give me one more night, one more week, one more month. Let me just hold on to this sin a little while longer. I I don't want to give it up yet. And just like we look at Moses or Pharaoh, we think, what an idiot. How stupid. Why would you want another night with the frogs and all the problems that they bring? Well, the same question should be for us. Why do we want another night with our sin and all the problems 
that it brings to us. All the harm, all the devastation. Oh, let me just hold on to it. Don't hold on to the things that God wants to deliver you from. Don't hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness, hate, lust, jealousy, any sin that you have a desire to hold on to you that God wants to free you from. Don't wait until tomorrow to do something that God wants to deliver you from today. Don't spend another night with the frogs when God wants to give you freedom. So Pharaoh and all of Egypt, they get another night of frogs because Pharaoh's not smart enough to just say, pray right now. But the next day, Moses does pray. God answers, and the frogs die. And so now they got to do something. They're dead. They're all in their house. They're all over the place. So they have to gather them, and it says, into heaps, and the land stank. I'm sure it stank really bad. I mean, imagine how many frogs there were, and these huge piles of dead frogs everywhere. But notice what happens. What did Pharaoh say? If this plague goes, I'll let the Israelites go to worship God. Well, now the plague's gone. The problem's gone. The consequences of the problem's gone. The frogs are gone. So how is Pharaoh going to respond? Notice how he responds in verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh Pharaoh sees the plague is gone and he decides, I'm going to go back on my word. I know I said that I would let the Israelites go. I know I said I'd obey God, but I mean, I only said that because of this plague, and now the plague is gone, and so I don't see any reason why I should do what I said. I don't see any reason why I should obey God, because the consequences in the plague are no longer here. You know, sadly, this is how many people are with God. They say things like, God, if you deliver me from this horrible situation, I will give you my life. I will worship you. I will serve you. God, if you heal me from this, this disease that's killing me, you know, I'll live for you. And then God says, okay. Here, deliverance is yours. Healing is yours. There's, there's no longer the situation that you're in. There's no longer the disease that you suffer from, and you're freed from it. And instead of doing what you said of worshiping God and living for God and giving your life to God, you're thinking, wow, great. The situation's done. I'm healed. My life's mine again. I'm not giving it to God. I'm not living for him. I'm not serving him. I'm just going to go back to doing what I did before. I'm just going to live for myself. Now that the problem is gone, they don't feel like they need to change their life and live for God. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. As to Pharaoh, it's the story of a strong will making itself stupid. Well, all the way until the condition was utterly beyond hope of remedy, God gave him opportunity to use that strong will in surrender. You know, when we continue to reject God, when we're strong-willed and we're not willing to submit and obey and and give God our lives, we're being very stupid. But something I love about this encounter between God and Pharaoh, something that we see with God throughout Scripture, is the mercy of it. I mean, so often we look at these ten plagues and we think, you know, it's just God's judgment over and over and over again to this hard-hearted individual. But you know what? God could have just brought the death of his firstborn right away. God could have brought even more severe things right away, but yet he gives them all these opportunities because every plague is a judgment, but it's also an opportunity to repent. 
It's an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to be stubborn. I'm no longer going to be hard-hearted. I'm no longer going to resist God. I'm going to choose to obey. Pharaoh had ten opportunities. He doesn't take any of them. But it's the mercy of God that says, I'm going to keep offering them to you. I'm going to keep giving you and showing you my power, showing you you should throw in the towel and stop fighting me. But yet, Pharaoh makes the choice not to. But I love the fact that God in his mercy continues to offer opportunities for Pharaoh to surrender. But sadly, there's a lot of people like Pharaoh that even with the many opportunities that God gives, they still just in their hard-heartedness continue to reject him. Well, because Pharaoh won't surrender, God's going to bring another plague. Let's see what he does in verse 16 and 17. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it becomes lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now notice something here. We've seen a pattern so far with the first two plagues. God sends the message, let my people go, and then the warning. The first warning is, if you don't do it, water to blood. Second, you don't do it, frogs. Notice here the third one, there's no warning. There's no message. It's just, here it comes. And this is something that there's not always that. You know, it was God's mercy and grace that said, you know what, I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose to obey before I bring the consequences. But this time it's just a straight consequence. You know what, you've shown your hard-heartedness, and now I'm just going to bring this third plague. I'm not going to have Moses or Aaron come and give you a message of warning. You're just going to suffer the consequences. And so God tells Moses, hey, you're not going to Pharaoh. Tell Aaron, stretch out his rod, strike the dust of the land, and it's going to become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron do that, and all the dust of the land of Egypt then becomes lice. Lice on men, lice on animals. You know, the very thought of lice almost makes you want to itch, especially your head. They're gross little insects. Normally you don't even get to see what they look like, but you will tonight because I have a little microscopic uh, picture of them, what they look like on your hair. Uh, And so, you know, these are the little guys that come and, you know, they got claws and they stick those claws in your head and they have beaks. And with their beaks, they puncture your uh, head and they start sucking your blood. Uh, And so they also lay eggs in your hair so that they can have a lot more lice and they prey on you. They multiply on you. They live on you, and actually they live off of you. You are their source of food. Uh, And so they're horrible little things that you definitely don't want on your body. And notice what we're told here, that God strikes the dust of the land so that all the dust of the lamb becomes lice. Now, this is significant because where is this taking place? Egypt. Egypt is a desert region, so there's a whole lot of dust that's there. Here's a satellite photo of a dust storm in Egypt, which was very common because there's so much dust. But imagine this. God says, all the dust that's there, which is an enormous amount, I'm going to turn that into lice. So there had just been this enormous amount of lice that's just everywhere on every person and on every animal. Why? Because lice need blood to survive. So they're finding blood sources so that they can stick their little beaks in us uh, and eat Uh, And so this would have been a horrible, horrible thing. So obviously this plague was bad, but there was something even more significant that 
uh, lice brought, another problem that it would have introduced to the Egyptians. Uh, and that's the fact that it attacked the heart of Egyptian worship, especially the priests. The Egyptian priesthood, they were extremely uh, just focused on hygiene and uh, ritual cleansing. And if they were not clean, then they were unable to worship their gods. Uh, the ancient historian uh, Herodotus he wrote this. The priests of Egypt would shave their entire body from head to toe every other day in order to keep lice from infesting them and allowing them to sacrifice to their god. So they had to be cleansed all the time, and they would even shave their whole body for this purpose because the lice would stick to your hair. Uh, but lice would ultimately keep them from being able to do their you know, sacrificial things and doing their worship as priests uh, because it made them unclean. And so this plague of lice was also on every animal. Well, here's another problem. The animals that they would worship to their, or, or sacrifice to their gods, they couldn't have lice on them either, or they would be unclean and not uh, able to be sacrificed. And so it kind of just stopped you know, the Egyptian priests from doing any of the sacrificial worship to their gods. Uh, and I find this very interesting because God asked Pharaoh, let my people go so they can sacrifice to me. No, I'm not going to let them go sacrifice to me. Fine. I'm going to send a plague that's going to keep your priests from sacrificing to your gods. You're not going to let my people come sacrifice to me. You're not going to be able to sacrifice to the gods you worship as well. And so it's a direct blow at the sacrificial system. But as we've seen with the other plagues, it's also a direct blow against more false Egyptian gods. The Egyptians worshipped the god Geb and also the desert god Set. The desert god Set was believed to have control over the desert, including the dust uh, within the desert. So the fact that all this dust turns into lice, well, wait, wait a second. You know, Set, what are you doing? You're supposed to be protecting us. They was believed that he would protect from sandstorms and all sorts of things that were connected with dust. And yet all this dust has turned into lice and shown he is powerless against God. The earth god Geb had even greater power, according to them. Uh, he believed they had power over everything on earth, including lice. Well, wait a second. Well, why is it then you can't stop the lice from coming and feasting on us? Once again, it just shows their powerlessness against God. And so this is another knockout blow to these false Egyptian gods that God is able to reveal his power and their lack of power. But once again, this helps the Egyptians come to the ultimate purpose. What's the purpose of these plagues? Help them know who the true God actually is. Well, now with the first two plagues, we saw Pharaoh's magicians. They're able to copy it. Yeah, they make things worse, but they're still able to do it. So let's see what they're able to do with this third plague, verses 18 and 19. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So the magicians probably thought pretty high of themselves. Hey, we turned water into blood. We brought frogs out as well. And now we have this chance to turn dust into lice. They get their enchantments. They do their stuff. They rely on the demonic power that's with them. And they can't do it. They're not capable of doing this. And I think this is something that's so important for us to know. Last week we saw that they have, demons have supernatural power. 
We need to recognize that, but we also need to recognize the power is limited. In comparison to God, who is all-powerful, there's nothing you know, compared to demons and Satan who have limited power. And here's what we see. Satan's not able to do this. He's not able to give the magicians the power to do this. But notice something else that we see with every plague. He's able to copy the first two, but he's able to stop none of them. And this is something that, you know, which would have been a real power. Hey, blood? Well, I can just turn it back to water. Hey, I'll get rid of all these frogs. I mean, that would be true power where he could say, I can stop you, God. I can take what you're doing and reverse it. But no, he was never able to give power to stop any of these plagues. He was only able to copy and make things worse, which should be a good reminder to us that, you know what, we don't need to fear him. He can't stop the power of God. He can't stop the work of God. When God's going to accomplish something and do something, Satan does not have the power to get in the way of that, to, to stop that. But notice the magicians now have come to a recognition that they hadn't before, and maybe they thought, well, hey, we can do this. How special is it? We, we, we've done it. We've uh, you know, done what this person does. But now look at this. They say, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. We can't accomplish this. We can't make this plague. Now they come to the recognition, this is the finger of God. Speaking of, we know the source of this. Pharaoh, you need to realize who you're messing with. This truly is the finger of God. There is a power out there that's greater than us. And he's coming for you. These plagues are fulfilling their main purpose. Pharaoh's own magicians have come to the place of starting to know who the Lord is and the power that he possesses. But you know what? If Pharaoh's going to listen to anyone, he's probably going to listen to his wise men. That's what these guys are, the magicians, the one who have supernatural power, the ones who have done supernatural things. If he's going to listen to anybody, it'd be these guys. And they come to him, and they're giving their wise counsel to him and say, hey, we need to tell you who you're up against. You're up against God. But notice his response to these guys. He doesn't listen to them. He doesn't heed them. He just continues to harden his heart. So Pharaoh's been given plenty of warning. He's been given plenty of evidence. Moses has shared with him. God has shown him through three miraculous plagues. His own magicians have told him what he's up against. So he's had plenty of warning, plenty of evidence. There's no reason for him to be like, I didn't know. I don't know who I'm fighting. I don't know what I'm up against. No, it's been real clear. But yet, even with all the, the warnings, all the evidence, all the people telling him, he just rejects it all and just chooses to harden his heart and not accept the reality of what's going on. You know, and sadly, there are people like that today. People that I'm sure you've encountered that you share with and you give plenty of evidence to and, you know, you have all these things that you put before them and, and there's plenty of people that love them, that they should listen to, that express the gospel to them and God's love and what he's done and, and they hear it all and still at the end of the day, they're just hard-hearted. They don't want to accept it. They don't want to listen. They don't care and when you come across someone like that, instead of trying to continue to beat down, you know, hey, the reality is they've heard plenty. They've seen plenty. 
The problem's their hearts. And so what we need to really start doing is praying a lot, interceding for them. The Lord has to do a work in them for them to have their eyes open, for them to have their hearts softened, for them to come to a place where they're going to finally be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to accept this. I'm going to, you know, it's not that I need more evidence. I got plenty of it. It's not that I need more people sharing. I've had plenty of that. I need to be changed. My heart needs to be changed. And we need to be praying that God would move in these people so that they would come to an understanding of who he is and what he's done. Now, with the last plague, Pharaoh didn't get a message. He didn't get a warning, but he's hardened his heart again. And every time he does, the result is another plague. And so let's see if God in his mercy will give him another message and another warning. Verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land." I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Well, God is so merciful. Gives Pharaoh another message. Same message. Let my people go. But now he gives a new warning. If you don't, I've turned your water to blood. I brought flies, I mean, I brought frogs, I brought lice, and this time, if you don't do it, we're told there's going to be a swarm of flies all over Egypt. Now, it's interesting that the word flies is not in the actual Hebrew, it's just a swarm of insects. We don't know what insect it actually is, Uh, the translators just put flies, and that's why if you have the New King James Version, you'll see it in italics. Why? The italics is showing that this isn't in the original. This is just something that the translators put in there because they didn't know what insect it was speaking of. And so they decided to use this one, which is kind of interesting because the book of Psalms tells us something that these insects did, which kind of helps you to think, man, they probably weren't flies. Psalm 78, 44 and 45 says this, God turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. He sent swarms of once again, translated flies, but it should be translated insects, among them which devour them and frogs which destroyed them. Now, I don't know too many flies that devour or bite on people, eat them. Uh, So, you know, it's most likely not a fly insect, but a lot of commentators think it's probably more likely something like a mosquito that like to feed off of our blood. Uh, And here in Texas, in Houston, we we know how brutal uh, it can be to be swarmed by mosquitoes. Uh, But, you know, imagine, you know, that. Now, here at least we're safe in our cars. We're safe in our homes because we have windows, we have doors, we have screens. But guess what? (laughs) They didn't have cars where they could close the door. They didn't have windows. They don't have screens. They're not safe anywhere. There's nowhere they could go where it's like, all right, we go outside, we're going to get you know, swarmed and eaten alive by you know, mosquitoes or whatever they were, but they, nowhere they would go would they be safe from this. Here's another video clip to show them how horrible this plague would have been.
So imagine trying to eat or trying to relax or trying to work or trying to sleep. I mean, they'd be flying up your nose and your eyes and your ears. I mean, it would just be horrible. And they're constantly landing on you, biting you. Uh, I mean, as you see those people, I mean, think you, you would just be constantly trying to get them away from you, but they'd just be swarming everywhere and there would be no relief. We're also told that the land was corrupted because of this swarm of insects. And once again, just like the lice corrupted the sacrificial system of the Egyptians so they couldn't do what they wanted to do in worshiping their gods, this one did as well. Uh, And so it's another attack against the Egyptians' form of worship. But there's something even more significant about this plague that we haven't seen so far. Notice what verses 22 and 23 tell us. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. So with the first three plagues, we're not specifically told, but it seems like it just hit everybody. That would include the Hebrews who were there in Egypt. You know, so all the blood, all the water was turned into blood. They suffered from that. Everybody had to suffer through the flogs and the, and the lice. But now he's saying, I'm going to make a distinction. In the land of Goshen, which is where the land of uh, where all the Hebrews live. Remember, that's where when Joseph was there, he says, hey, this is the place that I want to have you guys live and be. And so that's where the Hebrews were. And so God says, hey, I'm going to make a distinction. Uh, there's no longer going to be a plague that hits that area. It's only going to be on the rest of Egypt. Uh, and so, you know, God does this to help them even see that he has greater power, controlling, you know, I can send them wherever I want. They can go to one portion of Egypt and not the other. They can feast on some and, and not others. Uh, and so, you know, God is now separated and saying, I want you to really know who I am. And you're going to see my power even greater in the fact that I'm able to do this. And I find interesting, some skeptics said, like, well, these are just natural phenomena. You know, there just happened to be a bunch of insects flying around. Well, why did they just stop over the land of Goshen and not eat anybody there? And they just kind of stay away from that area and they go consume everybody else. I mean, this shows the power of God is the thing that's doing this. Well, let's see how Pharaoh responds to this fourth plague, verses 25 through 29. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I'm going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Well, now Pharaoh has suffered through his fourth plague. And now he's calling for Moses and for Aaron. And notice what he says. Go sacrifice to your God in the land of Egypt. All right, I'm done. I've had enough. Our people have had enough. I give in. Go sacrifice to the Lord your God. But notice he brings a compromise. Just do it here in Egypt. 
Now remember when God sent Moses and Aaron the first time, they said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may sacrifice to me in the wilderness. So Pharaoh's like, no, 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 you're not going to the wilderness, but I'm happy if you want to just sacrifice to your God here in Egypt. So Pharaoh wants to compromise. You can't do exactly what God wants you to do. The sacrifice part you can do, the destination part you can't. And so just have a little compromise in the middle. But you know, when God commands us to do something, he does not accept compromise. This is something we need to be very careful of because the enemy is always trying to get us to that place of compromise. When they can't just get us to just outright sin and just blatantly disobey God, it's like, okay, fine. We'll go to the next step. Well, why don't you just compromise a little? You can do a little obedience, a little disobedience. What's the big deal? I find it interesting that in the Bible, Egypt is almost always a a picture of the world. And Satan tries to get us to compromise in the same way that Pharaoh does here. God commands us to worship him. He commands us to separate ourselves from the world and the things of the world, to not do those things. And Satan tries to get us to compromise that command. Hey, you know, you can go to church on Sunday. I'm fine with that. You can worship God. You can do all the things you want to do on Sunday. You just live for the world on Monday to Saturday. That's fine. You can have your day to worship. You can do that stuff as long as it's not every day, as long as it's not going to be completely given to God. Satan knows that a compromise obedience is not an obedience at all. And he knows we'll never really grow in our relationship with God if we're just Sunday Christians. And so he tries his best to get us to compromise God's commands. And we need to be on guard. Make sure that we have full obedience, not compromised obedience. Well, Moses responds to this offer of compromise by saying, it's not right to do so, for we'd be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they will, then will they not stone us? Moses is reminding Pharaoh, hey, our sacrifices to our gods, we use animals that you guys don't. There are animals that you worship, animals that you say no one can kill. Well, those are the ones that God wants us to kill. Those are the ones that God wants us to sacrifice to him. And so if we do that in front of the Egyptians that worship that animal, aren't they going to want to stone us? Aren't they going to kill us? I mean, like going into a, you know, a Hindu temple and starting to you know, slice up a, a cow and making some steaks. I mean, they worship those, and they believe that you shouldn't kill them. And so if you did, you'd have some problems. And so that's what Moses is saying is, hey, we sacrifice different animals than you guys. And so if we did it here in Egypt, your own people would have a problem with that. You know, so that, that, that's not something even you would probably want us to do. But then Moses responds with the real reason, ultimately, why he's not going to compromise. He says, we'll go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. Hey, I'm not going to refuse. God's already told us what he wants. I'm going to do what he told us to do. So you want us here in Egypt? Nope, that's not where we're going to go. Three days journey into the wilderness, that's where God wants us. And so that's what we're going to do. And this is a great example to us of, you know, Moses might have thought, well, at least he's finally getting us one step closer. Let's just take this. You know, Pharaoh's a pretty hard-hearted guy. Uh, This is good enough. No, it's not. He needed full obedience, not half-hearted or just partial obedience. Well, Pharaoh's not done trying to compromise with Moses. Okay, fine. You're not willing to sacrifice here. Notice his next thing. I'll let you go that you can sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. The first compromise is don't go anywhere. 
just do it right here in Egypt. The second compromise is, okay, fine, if you're not willing to do it here, you can go to the wilderness, but you're not going three days journey. You just go straight to the edge. Don't go very far from here. And this is exactly how Satan works against us. You know, if we're not willing to blatantly sin, it's like, well, here's the first compromise. Nope, I'm not doing that. Well, okay, fine. Well, how about this compromise? Something that's even, you know, not as bad, not as blatant. You know, okay, you're not willing to sacrifice here, but, but I'll let you go a little farther. I'll let you get a little closer to what God wants, but not complete obedience. But we don't want that. Don't go too far into following God. You know, you want to be a Sunday and a Thursday night Christian, that's fine, but you can't be an everyday one. You know, we're not going to have full obedience here. That's not something that is acceptable according to Satan's way of trying to deceive us. And unfortunately, many Christians have bought into this mindset. And you hear it. I hear it as a pastor. Questions that come out of, you know what, ultimately asking how much can I sin and still be right with God? Instead of how close can I get to the Lord? How much can I do to follow him? How can I be fully obedient to him? It's no, no, no. How can I have one foot in the world and one foot in my relationship with God? Well, what happens if I do that? And then if I engage in this sin and this sin, but I still go to church and I still do this. And, you know, where's the balance? How much can I get away with this kind of the mindset that people have? And it's just a mindset of compromise. We know what Jesus reveals his thoughts of that in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Sound like Jesus likes compromise? (laughs) I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you not live for me at all than try to have this lukewarm Go and be hot. Live for me completely. I don't want compromise. So after Pharaoh offers these two compromises, he asks Moses to intercede for him. Take away this plague. Moses says, okay, I'll do that. But don't be deceptive like you were last time. Last time you said you were going to let us go if I prayed. And right when the plague left, you hardened your heart and you didn't do it. Don't do that again, Pharaoh. Okay, well... Let's see what he does, verses 30 to 32. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his hearts. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. So just like with the last plague, Moses prays, God answers, he removes the plague. And just like with the last plague, Pharaoh goes back on his word. Oh, it's gone. I'm going to harden my heart again. I'm not going to do what God says I should do and let Israel go. You know, one of the things that we learn from Pharaoh in this epic battle is that hardening your heart against God is very dangerous. And one of the things that we don't really see in this, because pretty much everything that's coming against him is big, But for us, I think oftentimes we feel like, you know what, there's just little sins, little compromises. And what's the big deal of hardening yourself to that? What's the big deal of indulging in that over and over again? It's not a big deal. I'm only hurting myself. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a sin. But you know what? 
It's when we harden our heart in the little things that ultimately we end up hardening our heart in the big things. David Guzik wrote this, As we continue in sin and reject God's opportunities for us to repent and return, the hardening continues. It is commonly seen. A man doesn't start by gambling away his paycheck. It starts with continuing on in a friendly betting, and his heart grows hard. A man doesn't start with shameful perversion. It starts with a few magazines, a couple videos, and his heart grows hard. A woman doesn't start addicted to alcohol. It starts with some social drinking, and her heart grows hard. You know, continual compromise in the little things ultimately brings compromise in big things. It hardens your heart to big things. You don't see people just saying, you know what, today I think I'm going to commit adultery. No, it's a buildup of little things that they harden their heart to, and then they act on something much bigger. But it wasn't like it just happened overnight. It was like, man, I have been hardening myself a lot in these little areas, and now it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm not even seeing how big it's getting because it's just kind of been this gradual digression, this gradual giving myself over to things that are just continually getting bigger and worse. And so in this epic battle between God and Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt, we see this continuation here in chapter 8. And God hits Pharaoh with three more blows. The plague of frogs, of lice, of some kind of insect that's swarming through there. And each one of these blows knocks out several false Egyptian gods. It reveals that they are powerless against the one true God. And each one of these blows have helped Pharaoh, have helped the Egyptians, have helped the magicians see and know who the true God is, the kind of power that he possesses. But sadly, even after Pharaoh's magicians realize this is a finger of God, even after Pharaoh several times has recognized this is God and I need to ask Moses to pray on my behalf and I'm willing to throw in the towel. I'm willing to let them go. I'm willing to obey God. But sadly, at the end of it all, he chooses to harden himself. He's got plenty of evidence. He's got plenty of people and even himself has recognized who he's up against and that the ultimate way to stop this is obedience. And even when he said, okay, I'll stop, I'll obey. Well, wait, the plague's gone. Let's go harden myself again. Let's go back to the way I was. No, I'm not going to obey God. So we see a very sad reality here in the life of Pharaoh, something that we see with too many people today. And unfortunately, because he continues to harden himself, the plagues are going to keep coming. So next week, we'll look at chapter 9, and there's going to be three more plagues And we'll see more and more of how the Egyptians feel about this, how Pharaoh's impacted by this, and how the Israelites are just kind of sitting pretty as God protects them from it. But we'll look more at that next week. Any thoughts on what we learned?